uh, and follow along as we turn to Matthew chapter 8. Matthew 8, if you need a Bible, you'll find a red one like this somewhere close to you, the road that you're in, probably the seat in front of you. And Matthew 8 is on page 886. How's everybody doing? I, I like, I had this, this sort of revelation this morning of, I, I don't often get to sit on the back row in a worship service. And I realized, like, I, I miss, like, hearing your voices when I'm sort of standing behind you and I don't get to hear you sing. Like, Sunday after Sunday, I just get to stand up here and, like, often on Sunday mornings, almost get carried by your worship of just like, man, hearing your voices, hearing you sing out uh, your praises to God. Uh, it, is a, it is a beautiful thing. And so I'm glad that those of you who sit in the back row got to experience that this morning as a, as a privileged uh, position, just to be able to, to, be able to uh, experience that. So thank you for being here. Thanks for singing uh, your hearts out. Thank you for uh, just your commitment to, to Jesus. Uh, we're here to worship Jesus, realizing that um, the one who took away the power of death, is with us. Jesus is the one um, who, who destroyed death. That We believe, as followers of Jesus, that death died on Calvary 2,000 years ago, and it has no power over us anymore. And, and to allow that, to, uh, to sort of sink into the, just to the deepest parts of our soul, to say we, there is nothing to be afraid of. Uh, because of who we trust, because of our allegiance to Jesus. Man, it has a power to set us free in so, so many beautiful ways. So excited uh, to open the scriptures this morning and to just to see what God uh, has for us. Um, there is an outline in your bulletin like normal. Uh, it is packed full of stuff. I got into the text this week. I'm like, there is just so much that I would love to be able to talk about. And I know I'm going to have to talk really, really fast to be able to cover it all. So um, won't do that to you. But this, I hope, is a tool. Um, and I hear from some of you that like, oh, this was helpful to be able to like, to take some notes and, and to go back and open up these scriptures because we're not going to cover them all this morning. But uh, to, to make these teachings that we come together uh, on Sunday morning and, and hear and be a part of, to make them a part of your daily week. To say, okay, in your missional communities or small groups, to say, okay, what are we doing with this? How do we live this out practically? How do we obey the words of Jesus? Um, so this can hopefully be a tool for you. How many of you know the rule of drinking from a fire hose? Anybody? Have you ever, we, we use that phrase all the time. It's like, man, it's like drinking from a fire hose. How many of you have ever done that? You drank from a fire hose. Like, three of you. That's impressive. I've never done that. Um, so two rules. Don't let the water go up your nose. And uh, take what you can and let the rest go past, right? So this morning is going to be a little bit like drinking from a fire hose of just saying, uh, just have, have a lot to cover. Um, but take what you can. Um, what it, what, what's the one thing that, that the Spirit might be saying to you this morning? And just let the rest go past, and uh, maybe that's for, uh, for someone else. So let's take a look. Let's jump right in. Matthew chapter 8, picking up where we left off last week, uh, verse 18. Verse 18. When Jesus saw the crowd around him, he gave orders to cross to the other side of the lake. Then a teacher of the law came to him and said, Teacher, I will follow you where ever you go. Now, let's, let's just stop right there for a second. Um, <clears throat> so when Jesus would have said this, um, there are crowds of people around Jesus, like you've been tracking with us through the Gospel of Matthew, and you realize that there are just these massive crowds of people around Jesus, the miracle worker. And Jesus now, um, 
Matthew, as he's writing the gospel, what he does is he zooms out from these big, <clears throat> miraculous stories of Jesus, and the camera kind of zooms in on the disciples and Jesus' interactions with his direct followers, not the crowds, but the disciples. And he gives this command, it says he gives these orders to get in the boat and cross to the other side of the lake. Now, when Jesus would have said this, like you would have heard a collective... <gasps> from the disciples and the crowds of people who could hear that. Because these Jewish boys had grown up hearing about the other side of the lake. You don't go to the other side of the lake. So here's what's going on. This lake is the Lake of Galilee. Uh, we had, again, we had these images and stuff kind of ready to go, so you could, but you can picture this. <clears throat> um, on the, the, the Lake of Galilee, sort of the northwest corner was the, where Jesus was. It was Capernaum, um, and, and these Jewish um, followers would have lived on the northwest side of the lake. On the opposite side of the lake, the other side, was this, this Roman sort of metropolis called the Decapolis, Ten cities. And these ten cities had sprung up, and they were full of pagan temples and all sorts of like Roman bathhouses where there was all sorts of debauchery and stuff like that that happened in these places. So these young Jewish boys would have grown up hearing about the other side of the lake, and their parents would have said, Don't you dare go to the other side of the lake. How many of you parents have like said that to your kids? Like, don't you go to those places? How many of you like heard that from your parents and you still went to those places, right? So that's, that's, when Jesus gives this order to his disciples, get in the boat, go to the other side of the lake, it would have been like <gasps> scandalous for a, a rabbi like Jesus to lead his disciples into a place like this. How many of you know that following Jesus is going to mean that he is going to lead us beyond the boundaries of where we're comfortable? I mean, some of you have been following Jesus a long time, <clears throat> and you realize that Jesus has this habit of, of, of taking us up to the, the area where it's like, okay, I'm, I'm comfortable here. And then he just sort of gives us a tiny little nudge into this area where we don't know what's expected of us, where we're not comfortable. And, and we sort of have to, we have to depend on Jesus in those places. Some of us might be in one of those places right now where it's just like, I'm not comfortable here. I don't know what it's like. Um, or maybe you're feeling Jesus nudging you into relationships with your neighbors that there, there are things about them that make you really uncomfortable. Or, or, or you know, your, your kids are, are being nudged into relationships with, with other kids in school. Or, um, or you have coworkers, and, and and you're not sure you want to go to the other side of the lake. But just know that this is part of following Jesus. That Jesus is going to lead us into these places. And the good news is, that he's not going to send us alone. That Jesus is already there. He's leading the way. He's already present in those relationships. He's already drawing those people to himself, and he just invites us to join him. And even in that, he doesn't send us alone. He sends the disciples, us as a church, he sends us together, that we have community, that we sort of keep each other. In these risky places, we keep each other tethered to Christ. So we need people around us. But know and trust that Jesus is going to lead you into places that you are not comfortable to the other side of the lake. This, this invitation to follow Jesus, and this is the invitation to discipleship, it is an all-in invitation. It is like Jesus, when he looks at us and he says, hey, would you follow me? The invitation is to say, would you surrender every bit of yourself to me? Your life, your gifts, your resources, your abilities, your future. 
would, would you follow me? And it's to respond, to say, yes, Jesus, I will follow you, is this, this statement of saying, I am all in with you. And, and this is again and again what Jesus calls us to, is just to say, are you, are you, are you all in with me? Are there pieces of your life that you are, you're holding back? Are there things in your life that you say, no, 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 Jesus, I will follow you with all of this. But this thing, this is where I get security from. This, this thing over here, like this is, I'm not willing to give this up. And Jesus just continues to challenge us and invite us to say, are you, are you all in? Because when you are, when we answer the call to say, yes, I'm all in with you, Jesus meets us and he fills us with life that we cannot even imagine. So Jesus, he leads these, these young Jewish boys to the other side of the lake. Now, he says some really hard things. There's, there's a, a, a man who comes up to him. And he says to him, he hears this call to follow Jesus. In verse 19, he says, uh, a teacher of the law came to him and said, teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. I mean, doesn't that sound really noble? Jesus, you say the word, I'm going to the other side of the lake. Like, I don't care. I'm, I'm doing it. And Jesus looks at him and he doesn't say, like, good for you. What does Jesus say? He responds with this really, this harsh, almost challenge. He says, well, here's the deal. Foxes have dens. And birds, they have nests, but me, the Son of Man, I have no place to lay my head. What is Jesus saying? He's saying, you, you think you're signing up to follow me there, but what happens when we don't go there? What happens when the journey takes us somewhere else? Are you in it with me, or are you in it for the destination we, you think we're headed to? Where, where does our allegiance lie? Does our allegiance lie with Jesus, or does it lie with what, here's where we think our future is going to go. Here's where we think Jesus is going to take us. And Jesus pushes back. He, he challenges this would-be disciple. He says, are you, are you really all in? And there are these echoes. And here's one of the things I love about the Bible, um, is like there are these echoes of Old Testament stories. And, and maybe some of you, like you're just new to the Bible and you don't know these stories. Um, this is why it's so good to study the Bible in community with somebody who's like sitting next to you, who's like, who knows these stories, who has lived them, who studied them, to just be able to learn together in that. Um, because there's this, what Jesus is doing is there's this echo from the story in 2 Samuel. It's there in your notes, 2 Samuel 15. And here, here's a little bit of the context. There's this King David who, um, who's God's anointed, sitting on the throne of Israel. But he has a son, Absalom, who is um, sort of launching this rebellion to overthrow David as king. And so he... Um, he, the son goes out and he gets these, this group of people and, and he kind of wins the hearts of Israel and they declare him to be the new king. So all of a sudden, word comes back to David, the rightful king, and he realizes, man, I, I don't know what to do. Like, I, this movement is too strong for me to stand against it. If I do, it's gonna, I'm going to die. My followers are going to die. So David runs. He, he gets off the throne. He leaves Jerusalem, and he's on the way out of the city, and he doesn't know where he's going. Now, here in this story, there's this, this man who has pledged his allegiance to David, and it says he's a foreigner, like he's just recently come to, you know, to Israel, and, and he's a part of what David is doing. And David looks at him as they're on the way out the city. David stops and he looks at him and says, like, you, you don't belong with me. You're a foreigner. Like, you should just stay here. I won't hold it against you. Stick with Absalom. You'll be fine here. I don't know where I'm going, so it's, it, don't put your family in this kind of situation to follow me. So David, just like caring for this guy, right? 
And his response, his response is this. As surely as the Lord lives, and as my Lord the King lives, wherever my Lord the King may be, whether it means life or death, there your servant will be. I mean, the statement of complete allegiance to the person, not to the destination, but to the person, David. And Jesus is, I think, calling us to this same sort of commitment. There's this passage in John chapter 6 where Jesus says some really hard stuff, and the crowds of people start to melt away. They're like, no, 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 we're not, we didn't sign up for that. And so they start to leave. And the disciples, they're, they're kind of, they're troubled by all these people leaving, and Jesus looks at his disciples, and he looks them in the eye, and he says, are you going to leave too? Like, do you, do you want to go too? And Peter responds with this, this amazing statement. He says, where would we go? Like, where, where would we go? Like, you're the one who holds the words of life. You are life itself. Where would we go if we don't follow you? Man, this is like to taste and see that the Lord is good, to step into this kind of allegiance to Jesus, to trust him, to follow him. Are we willing to follow Jesus even if it costs us all our securities? Like, are we willing to follow him even if if he says, it's actually that thing that you hold so dear that I actually want you to surrender to me, to lay at my feet? And when we do that, when we say yes to him, we will find freedom that we could not find outside of it. The invitation of Jesus is an all-invitation to surrender. And then, so Jesus, he, he goes on, there's another disciple who says, Lord, uh, like, I want to follow you, but first let me go bury my father. And what does Jesus say? Sure, like, no problem, take as much time as you need, go bury your father, do all the things. That's not what Jesus says. Check out what Jesus says. But Jesus told him, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. Jesus, why you got to be so rude? Like, I mean, there's this, like, there's, how many of you are bugged by that? They're like, man, this guy wants to go bury his dad, and Jesus, like, you're telling him to not worry about his, his, his dying father? Like, this seems really, really insensitive. What in the world is going on here? But again, there, there is this challenge that Jesus is issuing, and it may not be as harsh as it sounds when we read it. Here's probably what's going on. There was this Jewish tradition called the second burial. And so when, uh, when a, a person died, um, a parent died, it was the job of the oldest son that on the one-year anniversary of their parent's death, they would go into the tomb, they would sort of open up the tomb, they would take the bones that were like laying there and now fully exposed, and they would gather the bones of their parent, they would put them in a container and sort of tuck them away in a small sort of cubby. It was called the second burial. And so, and this was like, this was a major tradition. Like, this was how you honored your mother and father. And in Jewish tradition, to honor your mother and father was the highest sort of command that we could do to one another, is you honor your mother and father. So there's a pretty good chance that this is what the man was saying. is like, I have to wait until the second burial thing so that I can come back and I can honor my father. And Jesus, like, in essence, what he's saying is like, you're standing in the presence of life itself. And you're consumed by this practice of death. Let your father's bones take care of themselves. Let someone else take care of this. You come and follow me, the one who holds the keys of life. And this is what, this is what Jesus says. And, and there's this amazing thing that Jesus is also saying about his own identity. Because the only command in the Jewish mind that was superior to honor your father and your mother was 
love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. What is Jesus saying when he says, don't honor your father and mother in that way, come follow me? What's he saying about who he is? I am the presence of God. He's teaching, he's showing his disciples that who he is, his identity, they can trust him. We can expect with Jesus on this this discipleship journey as we're moving together, following Jesus, that Jesus is going to invite us to be close to him. He's going to call us to just experience the intimacy of his presence, but we can also expect that he is going to challenge us in ways that are going to push us beyond what we're comfortable. That Jesus is going to say something. How many of you know that Jesus, for us, our comfort is not his highest goal? Your, your comfort is not Jesus' highest concern. Our transformation is. That Jesus would make us into people who are mature, who, who, who represent him, who look like him in the world. And that means he's not going to lead us down the path of least resistance. So, um, now they get into the boat. The disciples get into the boat. Verse 21, it says, so they, uh, they get into the boat and his disciples followed him. They so they follow him. There's like no getting out of the boat, right? Once you get into the boat, you're sort of set for the journey. Wherever it goes, they're in it. Verse 24, suddenly a furious storm came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat and Jesus was sleeping. Now, how many of you in this moment, if you're really honest, are saying, Jesus, I, do, do you know what I just walked away from to say yes to you? Like all the sacrifices I just made to say yes to you? And the first place you lead me is into the middle of a storm. That's not fair. I mean, if we're real honest, like how many of you is like, no, no, I deserve better than this. Like I don't deserve, I, just, I deserve some smooth sailing to the other side of the lake. But Jesus, he, they get into the boat and they head out and it, the storm kicks up and Jesus is sleeping in the middle of the storm And the disciples, verse 25, the disciples went and they woke him up saying, Lord, save us, we're going to drown. He replied, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? They got up, or then he got up and he rebuked the wind and the waves and it was completely calm. The men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this that even the winds and the waves obey him? Um, so the, the Lake of Galilee is actually, I don't know how many of you have ever been there. Has anybody been to Israel? Like you've been to the, the Sea of Galilee? Um, they call it a sea. It's really a lake. But um, the crazy thing about the Lake of Galilee where, where this all happened was that it's 600 feet below sea level. Right? So, I mean, it's, this, it's, it's 600 feet below sea level and it's surrounded by these, these tall hills. And these hills have these ravines sort of dug into them uh, through years of erosion. And so what will happen is that the winds will sweep over the hills down through these gullies and just churn the lake up in like a a moment's notice, like a boiling pot, right? I mean, just like tear it up. And those storms can come up really, really quickly. And so this is the picture. They're on this little fishing boat, and they're terrified. These disciples are terrified for their lives. And so they're calling out to Jesus, and Jesus is asleep in the middle of the boat. In the middle of this, in the middle of this storm, um, I think it's important for us to just realize as disciples that storms are going to come. And storms—I mean, we can be blindsided by storms out of nowhere, right? Out of nowhere. Um, on on uh, 
uh, I think it was Wednesday, I ended up going to visit, you know, somebody who was having a procedure done at the, at the clinic, and so went and, um, and, and went, to the, went to the clinic to sit with them, and I saw like 15 other people from Journey, like, while I was there, I was like, I should just, we should meet here, I guess, apparently, um, I almost preached a sermon in the lobby, and uh, realized, like, there have been people who are just kind of blindsided by storms that came in the form of health concerns. Uh, but storms, I mean, they, they blindside us in other ways, too, of, of, of just family relationships that, that can all of a sudden just take a turn. Um, job insecurity, just take a turn. And, and so storms, they come out of nowhere. Jesus, uh, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 7, he gives this, this amazing challenge. And he says in the end of Matthew 7, he says, so here's going to be the noticeable difference between disciples, those who obey the words of Jesus, and those who don't. And do you know what the difference is? Storms are going to come at both of them. Like Jesus doesn't say, if you obey my words, you won't have any storms, the floodwaters won't come, the winds won't you know, beat against the house. But he says the only difference between disciples of Jesus and those who aren't is when the storms come, disciples of Jesus, those who obey the words of Jesus, their houses won't crumble. Their houses won't crumble. They will actually have this foundation. They will have this thing that holds them fast in the middle of the storm. To, to say yes to Jesus isn't to say yes to a life without storms. It's to say, Jesus, I believe that you are going to hold me fast in the middle of it that you are going to be my foundation in the middle of it, that we will be secure in that. So there, there's a storm. They wake Jesus up. They say, Lord, save us. Don't you care? We're going to drown. Jesus uh, wakes up. He rebukes. And by the way, that word rebuke is the same word as he uses for like, evil, casting out evil spirits in other places. He, he speaks to the storm like he, like he does to these evil spirits. And immediately, just like spirits were cast out of people, this storm is stilled. And then what do the disciples do? They're freaked out. We didn't know he did weather. Like, right? We saw him heal people. We saw him, like, you know, cast out spirit. But we didn't know what this guy did weather. Who is this man? What kind of man is this? That even the wind and the waves obey him. So why did they wake him up? I mean, like, seriously, what, what was in their minds when they woke him up? Did they wake him up thinking he was going to calm the storm? Because if you stick with the story, it doesn't seem like they knew he had the power to do that. So why did they wake him up? Well, do you remember another Old Testament story? One we uh, talked about for quite a few weeks over um, the Lent season leading up to Easter, the story of Jonah. You, you know the similarities between this story and the story of Jonah? There's a storm, and there's a prophet of God, Jonah, sleeping in the boat in the middle of a storm. Right? Very, very similar. And so um, in the Old Testament story, the story of Jonah, the sea captain wakes Jonah up, the prophet wakes him up, and what does he say? Anybody remember? Pray to your God, right? So maybe your God will hear from heaven and the storm will, you know, he'll, he'll spare us, the storm will be stilled and, and it will spare us. So, so Jonah is sleeping in the middle of the storm and he's woken up and they say, pray to your God, and Jesus is here sleeping in the middle of a storm with his disciples, and they wake him up. But Jesus doesn't pray to his God. What does he do? He answers their prayers. He answers their prayers. 
What is Jesus saying about who he is? That the one who spoke over this, this creation in Genesis 1, this chaos of watery, you know, the, the, the surface of the deep, the one whose voice brought order to chaos in the very beginning is the voice of the one who stills the storm in here in Matthew 8. The voice of the one who, who spoke to the Red Sea in Exodus, you know, as the children of Israel were coming out and they're caught in this anxious place between this army that wants to kill them and between a sea that they cannot cross and the one whose voice speaks and parts the sea, stills the sea so they can cross on dry land is the voice of Jesus, this one who calms the storm and his disciples experience this peace and stillness. It's the same voice that the poets talk about in, in Psalms. In Psalm 46, is saying, God is our refuge and strength. God is an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at the break of day. Nations are in uproar and kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice and the earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. He says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. The invitation of Jesus. And, oh, Jesus is sleeping in the middle of the storm. I mean, he's, just, he's, he's chilling. He's taking a nap. What if in the middle of the storm that you're presently facing, Jesus is inviting you to just take a nap? To just say, like, you know what? There is a peace that is available to you right now in the middle of your storm, by recognizing the one who is with you. By recognizing that you are not alone. You don't have to face it alone. You don't have to solve the problems alone. You don't have to carry all the anxiety alone. Because the one whose voice created this world, the one whose voice has power over the elements, this one says, I am with you. I am with you. Don't be afraid. Uh, Last night, I was... Um, so I'm, I was wrapping up two, two papers uh, for school and also thinking about, like, the sermon a little bit and, uh, you know, tucked the kids in bed and, and our son, who's six, um, oh, almost six, almost six, he'll be six soon, um, comes out and he's like, Daddy, I'm, I'm really scared. And, like, comes and curls up on my lap. And I'm like, what are you scared of? And he kind of tells me, you know, something in the closet. I was like, okay. What would help you not be scared anymore? So, do you want Rex, our dog, to come in and sleep with it? He's like, no, Daddy, I want you to come. I was like, oh, really? Like, that would make you so you're not scared anymore, huh, if Daddy came with you? He's like, yeah. It's like, oh, okay. I realize, like, I've, I have, like, an almost six-year-old son who's not going to want his Daddy to snuggle with him in bed uh, for very much longer. So, sort of close the laptop and go and curl up with him. And in just, like, minutes, his body just relaxes, and he's asleep. He's asleep. Nothing changed other than he trusts his daddy and his daddy was with him in the middle of his fear. 
Like maybe our invitation this morning is just to trust Jesus, to trust that he is with you. Whatever you're facing, that he has the power and the authority to speak peace into that storm. Would you believe that this morning? I invite you to stand as we move back into worship and pray. God, um, Jesus, we thank you for the ways that you just, you, you teach us who you are. You remind us again and again and again of your power, uh, of just that, that, Jesus, you are the clearest picture of God. You are the presence of God with flesh and bones. Jesus, your voice is the one, God, that has all power in heaven and on earth. And Jesus, we tell you again this morning that we are all in with you. We're yours. Where would we go? Where would we go without you? Jesus, you are the one who has life. So Jesus, um, realizing many of us are in the middle of storms in one way or another, we, just, we come to you and we say, Lord, um, we don't, we, maybe we don't have much faith, but Jesus, we, we trust you. We ask you, Jesus, to speak your peace, to calm the storms. We ask you to calm our anxiousness. We ask you to speak your peace deep inside of our souls, God, that there would be no room for fear because your perfect peace would just push it to the edges like light pushing away the darkness. Jesus, we sing these songs. Make your presence known to us. Be with us. It's in your name we pray.